to the New Money Review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. We often look at Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and talk about them using the language of mathematics, computer science or finance. But what about the politics of these networks? No one can deny that cryptocurrencies feature intense political battles. Think of the split in the Ethereum network in 2016. That was caused by a disagreement over whether the network's transaction history could be rewritten following a major theft by hackers. And what about the chain wars in Bitcoin in 2017? These were prompted by a still unresolved debate over the nature of the network. Should it keep transaction costs down and function primarily as a payment system? Or should we worry less about transaction costs and focus on Bitcoin as a store of long-term value? In the words of the guest on today's podcast, the question of whether and how these networks' political problems can be solved remains open. I'm quoting from a recent article on Bitcoin in the London Review of Books by Donald Mackenzie, who is a professor of social and political sciences at the University of Edinburgh. Donald is a specialist in what he calls the sociology of science and technology. I started by asking him to describe his area of work and how it relates to financial markets. Okay, let me step back for a second, um, just to give some context here. So I'm a sociologist, and specifically I'm a sociologist of science and technology. Um, So I'm both interested in the effects of scientific technological developments, things like models, on markets, but also I'm I'm interested in the in in the other direction of causation, so to speak. I'm also interested in things like why do we design technologies in the particular way um, that they get designed. So, from my viewpoint, I think I'm less interested in the models question in the case of cryptocurrencies than in the design question, so to speak, because uh, when someone is setting up a new cryptocurrency or when a group of people are setting up a new cryptocurrency, um, what they are in effect doing is a piece of technological design work. So it's really that aspect of cryptocurrencies uh, that, 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 that attracts me. Uh, why do they get designed in the particular way that, that they are? And what are the consequences of them being designed in that way? So if we look at how Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he, she, or they were, uh, designed Bitcoin, clearly they they wanted to avoid having a centralized authority. They wanted to build censorship resistance into the model. What do you think the impact of that uh, innovation is? Well, I think... What I would say there um, is for sure. I mean, that's the you know that's the generic importance of cryptocurrencies. Um, what specifically interests me about Bitcoin is something a little bit more specific than that, which is to say that I'm interested in how Satoshi, as you say, whoever she, he, uh, they, it um, was. I'm interested in how they solve the crucial technical problem in doing what you've just described, which is how to achieve consensus 
in a decentralized system and furthermore in a decentralized system where some of the actors can be assumed to be bad actors you know people who are interested in fraud and theft um and of course how satoshi did that is a particular approach uh, that's come to be called proof of work which is to say that there's a category of actors in the in in the bitcoin system that do what's called mining um which is essentially putting together blocks of transactions that are that become part of the permanent blockchain and that's done in a distributed um kind of fashion and involves a great deal of computational work that's to say that it would be computationally very 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 expensive to as it were try to redo any substantial part of the blockchain once it's once it's been done uh in the first place and it's you know it's it's a conceptually absolutely brilliant idea you know it's a very very difficult problem that satoshi set out to solve and she he they it found a conceptually wonderful way of solving it unfortunately uh what is what has also become clear and there's no evidence i think that that satoshi anticipated that what's also become clear is it's an extraordinarily energy intensive way of solving it it consumes a great deal of electricity and you can see as a sociologist of technology it's those kind of aspects of bitcoin of cryptocurrencies that interest me what what I, I found very interesting in your article was the um, you know you you kind of gave an overview of the discussions about centralization of the network right from the beginning. So you talked about how early on in the life of Bitcoin, Satoshi wrote to one of the miners who'd who'd discovered that you could basically monopolize the um, collection of coins by using a, 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 a graphics card on the computer yeah. and then he satoshi wrote to him saying look we don't want all the all the coins to accrue to you we want to share them out a bit but then as you point out as you pointed out it very mining very quickly became as bitcoin started to gain, gain monetary value mining very quickly became a very specialized industrial activity with 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 uh, dedicated chips produced by you know highly specialized factories mainly in in, in the far east so what have you learned about the the kind of interplay of uh, forces that tend towards centralization and, and and the and the kind of inherent decentralization of the which is built into the protocol. Those two things are in kind of permanent tension. Uh, you have a decentralized model that, in actual practice, can become de facto a lot more centralized than one might imagine both in the sense that there's a relatively small number of core software developers um for bitcoin and they're very influential in how the software system develops and as you've just said um mining um has become the mining of bitcoin has become a pretty 
large-scale activity that you just need specialized kit for. You can't realistically do it uh, on an ordinary computer or even with an ordinary graphics card. You need to go and buy a machine. Uh, Bitmain is the, the name of the company that's the, that's the market leader in producing those machines. You've got, you've got to go buy a machine that's specifically designed to do mining. And miners have started to cluster together in pools. Uh, and some of those pools have pretty large market share of, 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 of the mining market. You point out that at the same time, the fact that you need to invest in this specialized equipment may actually help uh, in protecting the network from attack by someone uh, seeking to monopolize it from the outside because they would have to put that money up front to buy the equipment to try and generate the hashing power to take over the network. And that would be a very expensive uh, undertaking. So in some ways, that specialization of the computer hardware has actually worked to keep the network going, as it were. Yes, absolutely. That's right. I mean, what you're referring to there is what sometimes is called a 51% attack or a majority attack, um, which is, as the name 51% implies, which is where a single actor um, is unlikely to be just a single individual, but you know, a, a group of people where a single actor gets more than half the computer power devoted to Bitcoin mining and then can influence how the blockchain um, evolves and can make money by doing the kind of things that Satoshi designed Bitcoin to prevent, uh, in particular, double spending, which is taking the quote-unquote same uh, unit of currency and spending it and spending it more than once. Um, if you have to buy the specialized kit, the the Bitmain, um, they, they call their machines ant miners, if you have to buy tens of thousands, maybe the hundreds of thousands of ant miners uh, to achieve the majority of hashing power, then as you just said, the economics of that kind of attack uh, don't look very don't look very attractive because yeah, you can make some you can make uh, some money or some Bitcoin uh, by or you, you can spend you can you can double spend your Bitcoin and you can get either other, either cryptocurrencies perhaps fiat currencies um, for that so you 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 can make money, but of course. If there was a 51% attack on Bitcoin, then one thing that would for certain happen is that the price of Bitcoin uh, would fall dramatically and the value of equipment that's specialized for Bitcoin mining um, would fall. So you would be probably shooting yourself in the foot by trying to mount that kind of attack. Now, the one proviso I would say there is that that's the case if you're having to buy the equipment. The equation changes if you can rent the mining equipment. And that's actually 
you can imagine that uh, being the case because in periods when the price of Bitcoin has fallen, what has to happen in a way, economically has to happen, is that uh, miners have to switch off their kit because they're not earning enough to pay their electricity bills. And that that will have the effect that there will be kit out there available for rent. So you could imagine a majority attack on Bitcoin, a 51% attack on Bitcoin, mounted not by buying equipment, because as I said, that is unlikely to work out economically, but by renting equipment. So that's the particular danger I would think of there. But as the as the uh, hashing um, or the processing activity across the network goes up, and it ha- has, I mean, it's gone down a bit over the last uh, year and a half, but it's still at fairly high or near to record levels. Um, as that hashing um, uh, activity takes place, you know, the, the more of it takes that takes place, the, the more secure the network is, and, and the more difficult it is for anyone to come in and try and do that, whether with rented equipment or purchased equipment yes that that seems correct to me i mean that um i can't remember the figures off hand uh but the peak in hashing power devoted to bitcoin came in something like uh august of 2018 and then the the total the, the the total amount of hashing went down quite a bit uh during 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 the autumn of twenty twenty eighteen, when there was the second bout of price falls, and there was a point where it had gone down by something like a half. So, at that moment, uh, it's conceivable that half the hashing equipment in the world was available for rent. But you're quite right; it, the the amount of hashing has gone back up again um, in the early months of of, of, of twenty nineteen. I'd like to contrast something you wrote in your London Review of Books article you, with something that uh, I've picked up from the, let's say, the kind of more utopian end of the cryptocurrency uh, uh, community. So you, you mentioned in your article that I'm quoting you that you, you say that politics saturates Bitcoin, and then you go on to say that how political problems can be solved in across Bitcoin remains open. And then it struck me that that contrasts very much with the, the kind of utopian view of the, the people who launched the, the DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization in mm-hmm. Ethereum, who uh, in, their, in their sales pitch at the beginning of the, the project, they said that the, we're going to follow the steadfast iron will of unstoppable code. So mm-hmm. you, you're, you're, you're contrasting kind of this utopian belief in code with what, what, what you point out are, uh, are politics that are, you know, are clearly there, but maybe not very well articulated. I'm just wondering how we get to um, uh, a stage where, you know, those politics come out a bit into the open, how we, you know, we can discuss what's going on and who the interest groups are. And how do you think this is going to evolve? First thing I would say is that it is very commonly the case that apparently technical design decisions, um, let's say, um, what should be the maximum block size uh, in Bitcoin, or more profoundly, uh, should the cryptocurrency be designed around the Bitcoin-style proof of work um, mining procedure is that those apparently technical 
decisions are often simultaneously political decisions. Um, because let's say, for the sake of argument, so I think this is you know, so this is this is inconceivable that this would happen. Suppose somebody were to say in regard to Bitcoin, well, hey, you know, it's it's a bit crazy that a, a substantial chunk of the world's electricity production is devoted to Bitcoin mining. Let's do away with proof of work. And the main alternative to proof of work is, is the procedure called proof of stake. Let's, let's move from proof of work to proof of stake. Um, what that would do would be to render the very large-scale investment that's going on that's gone on in bitcoin mining um in bitcoin mining machines it would render that very large-scale investment uh of very little value and of course the people who made that investment would fiercely resist uh a change of that sort so it's What I'm pointing to there is that apparently technical decisions are often political as well in that they involve vested interest. They involve people who put money into something and want to keep that investment valuable. They involve cultural, political goals. People have, you know, as you've pointed out, people have often become involved in cryptocurrencies, not because they want to make money, but because they've got a vision as to how the world should be. And that's, of course, also um, a, a political thing. Um, you also asked about how I saw the future developing. Um, my sense of, it, of Bitcoin is that it's become, in practice, a fairly conservative kind of system for the reasons I've just outlined. It's difficult to anticipate much in the way radical change in the design of the system. The major cryptocurrency that seems to be to be more in flux is Ethereum, uh, where, for example, the possibility of a shift from proof of work to proof of stake, um, people have been talking in, in Central people in Ethereum have been talking about that for quite some time. It hasn't happened yet, but one one could imagine it happening uh, with with Ethereum, and that would be very interesting indeed. If a major, a truly major cryptocurrency such as Ethereum uh, moved from proof of work to proof of stake, and as you pointed out in your article, there are some inherent. For, clearly, proof of stake would might generate. Uh, uh, energy savings, but there are some potential problems in in its protocol. It might become uh, plutocratic, uh, you know, effectively operated by the biggest coin holders. Uh, might be difficult to keep it decentralized. I mean, that's I suppose that's the argument of the, the Bitcoin community regarding yeah. Ethereum. What yeah, your absolutely, and you can see that is that is in a certain sense that's exactly the point. I mean, that 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 those are essentially political. Um, kind of arguments. Yeah. I should also say in regard to proof of stake, I mean, I think there is also the issue of security of proof of stake. I think people are finding it a little bit hard to 
convince themselves that there might not be a way of hacking a proof of stake uh, system. And I mean, at least Bitcoin proof of work um, seems pretty robust in, 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 in terms of that kind of thing. I'd like to ask you about your um, your study of other areas of the financial market. So you've written a lot about high-frequency trading, and I'm interested in your thoughts on uh, maybe the contrast between HFT, high-frequency trading, and, and cryptocurrencies, because it struck me that uh, in high-frequency trading, we're pushing up against the limits of, 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 uh, of the physical universe. People are getting close to the speed of light in, in, in transmitting and processing uh, messages. And at the same time, we've got Bitcoin, which is kind of intentionally slow because it, it, it doesn't uh, process more than seven transactions per second. It's designed to, it, it, you know, a block is produced every 10 minutes. What, what do you make of that? Is this a kind of an interesting departure in, in approach? Because clearly there, there are, I mean, it's, we're not comparing like with like, but it, it, the this, the race for speed implies centralization at some point. But, but the... The intentional slowness of Bitcoin is, is, is kind of a, a design feature, and uh, is, is that a sort of fair way of looking at it? Is that, is that a yes. kind of a philosophical departure? Yes, no, it, it absolutely is because yeah. uh, the, if I understand it correctly, the reason Bitcoin was designed to be slow finance, if one can use that word by analogy with slow food, the reason it's designed to be slow finance is precisely the decentralization. That's to say, if you have a, a global decentralized network with therefore no central broadcasting system, it just takes time for blocks to percolate through the Bitcoin network. And I think that's the rationale um, for the deliberately slow pace. There is, though, a curious structural parallel between the world of high-frequency trading and Bitcoin. And it wasn't me who thought, who, who identified this, the Chicago economist Eric Budish uh, very usefully put his finger on this. That in both cases, you've got a kind of arms race going on. In the case of high-frequency trading, it's a speed race. Uh, in the case of Bitcoin mining, it's a computational capacity race. But both, both have the same generic structure to them. But in each case, uh, there is a reward that's available. In the case of Bitcoin, it's very straightforward. It's the 12.5 uh, new Bitcoins that you get if you successfully mine a block. In the case of high-frequency trading, uh, it's the kind of opportunities for what people call arbitrage, for riskless or low-risk profit that arise when, for example, one financial instrument has moved in price and another highly correlated instrument hasn't yet moved. So in each case, uh, you've got a prize and you have people who are engaged in an arms race to win the 
surprise. And what Budish points out is that the economics of a situation such as that, uh, which in economists peak, is it, it's a rent-seeking competition, that the economics of a situation like that mean that if there's an equilibrium, then that equilibrium is when the amount of money spent to win the prize is equal to the prize. And I think that's, that's a pretty reasonable pretty reasonable description of Bitcoin mining. I think that, that reasonably well captures what goes on in, in Bitcoin mining, and it ties together the price of electricity, the amount of computational power that's devoted to trying to win the prize, and the value of the prize, which is the fiat currency worth of the 12.5 bitcoins because of course as far as i know you always got to pay for your electricity bill in in fiat currency so that's why the fiat currency comes into the equation could you, could you talk a bit about um the um what you call the material political economy of this new system you in your article for the london review of books you you give a very interesting example of what happened in 14th century england when the the local abbots of uh, St. Albans, the, the head of the monastery, uh, banned hand milling of flour by the local uh, peasantry. And a few decades later, they took revenge by, by sacking the monastery. And I guess it was to do with taxation or control of the, um, the, uh, the local commodity markets. But uh, you know, how, how, could we talk a bit about what the material political economy of this new technology you know, might be? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just let me just very clearly say what the issue was in the in the case of the milling of grain in throughout the European Middle Ages. There's not anything very specific to England or to the 14th century here. Um, but feudal lords wanted grain to be milled on ha on windmills or water mills because those. You know, in the technology of the time, those were big, expensive pieces of kit. Uh, so there couldn't be that many of them. And so the Lord's agents could keep a close eye on what was going on and make sure that, and make sure that the Lord got his share of, you know, because the lot, you know, Lord's Say, you know, basically we're in a position to say, well, we, you know, we want uh, you know, such and such a share of the, gra of the grain that's being milled. Um, so it was a technology, that form of technology favoured the lords. Um, peasants preferred hand milling because you could hand mill in private. So the lords' agents couldn't work out uh, exactly how much grain you were milled. So it was harder, harder for the lord then to get the grain. The kind of way, the kind of example of where you can see quite similar phenomena, actually, in the case of cryptocurrencies. Yeah, you just reminded me of uh, the, the, the head of the Bank for International Settlements saying, you know, please stop making your own money to the, to the you know, young people. Stop, uh, stop doing it yourselves. You know, we're, yeah. we're in charge of the system. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the, the particular peril, and I have to confess, this was probably the particular thing that made me think, yes, I, I really do need to know a little bit more about cryptocurrencies. Um, concerns the phrase, and this is when I have first heard it, this is what sparked my interest, of ASIC resistance, where an ASIC is an application-specific integrated circuit. So the specialist machines that, for example, Bit, Bitmain makes um, for Bitcoin mining, uh, those involve, those each have uh, something of the order of 200 specialized ASIC, specialized integrated circuits within them. And it's that uh, that makes Bitcoin mining a specialized activity. You just have to have one of those machines. Uh, because that's happened in the case of Bitcoin, in other cryptocurrencies, people have tried to make the hashing algorithm ASIC resistant. In other words, they've tried to introduce hashing algorithms for which application-specific integrated circuits do not have an inherent advantage over the kind of computers that you and I own. Uh, and that's really rather like the defense by medieval peasants of hand grinding. You know, we have People have this democratic com commitment, this idea that in a properly designed cryptocurrency, Ordinary users should be able to do the mining, to earn the rewards of the mining. And hence, there have been efforts to design cryptocurrencies, which are ASIC resistant. So more democratic, in a way. Yeah, more democratic. So it's, it's very like, or, you know, very like the peasants of St. Albans smashing up the stone floors of the monastery because the stone floors were paved with the hand mill stones that had been confiscated from them yeah so so to put things in a historical perspective we've seen you know we've seen very you drawn parallels to what's happened in the past i mean is it possible to say you know where we are in the in the in the scheme of things i mean are things going to stay in flux for a longer long period of time do you think that things will settle down and there'll be a kind of a winner amongst the different technologies or could it all get shut down as some people are still suggesting from governments yes i don't know that governments will be able to shut it down um you know what we don't yet know of course is whether what people call crypto winter um is really going to turn into crypto spring again and uh, and and crypto summer, you know, that over the last few months, uh, when I've been to a, a couple of cryptocurrency type events, there has been a bit of a sense of the, the air having coming out, come out of it um, a little bit. So I'd see that as the, you know, if you, if you think about, well, what's the immediate threat to the future of cryptocurrencies? It's that kind of thing. I think just a, a you know, a kind of loss of enthusiasm, um, you know, and some other new thing comes along and grabs people's grabs people's enthusiasm. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think that can be ruled out. But if the world of cryptocurrencies 
does get momentum back, um, then from my own interest, uh, the key thing to watch will be that question of which kind of design of a cryptocurrency looks like it's winning out. In other words, will the Bitcoin-style proof-of-work remain dominant uh, or will proof-of-stake take over? Will people succeed in making ASIC-resistant cryptocurrencies mainstream or will the industrial-scale mining activities uh, continue to to dominate. I wouldn't claim to be able to predict the future on, on those kind of things, but that's the kind of thing I would be looking out for.